District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. 22 states have issued Shooting Sports Month proclamations, and I'm also going to dive deeply into the issue over the new $10 billion, nearly $10 billion, Coastal Virginia Offshore Wind Project that was just approved by the State Corporation Commission and the rising cost we will see to our electricity bills. August is National Shooting Sports Month. It's a perfect time to polish your existing skills, to try some new firearms, go target shooting, whether you're in preparation for just going to the range or perhaps you're training for hunting season coming up, whatever your reason. August is a great month to do some plinking safely, of course, and what a better opportunity than this month, especially to take someone new to the range. With the historic level of people picking up firearms ownership, especially since summer 2020, and more and more people are expected to obviously buy guns and get their concealed carry permits because of the Bruin decision, we suspect a lot of people will be joining the fold. So what better than a month like August, which has been annually dedicated to this occasion, to welcome new people, to encourage safe shooting, and fun, of course, in doing these activities. 22 states, largely Republican states and a handful of Democratic governors, have issued proclamations celebrating National Shooting Sports Month. And if you don't know this, National Shooting Sports Month is an initiative that was spearheaded years ago and is still continued today by the National Shooting Sports Foundation, who we often cite and representatives we often bring on to the podcast. We like having Mark Oliva and the NSSF does great work. Gun controllers are now actually trying to make the NSSF a boogeyman because they can't do that to other gun groups because they are effective, of course, being the Firearms Trade Association. And so their writing says that National Shooting Sports Month encourages newcomers and experienced gun owners and hunters to visit a local range with their handgun, rifle, or shotgun to enjoy the target shooting sports, which boasts more than 56 million adult and youth participants. All are encouraged to invite a guest with them to introduce them to responsible firearms ownership. And I'll read for you briefly the car. The proclamation issued by Virginia Governor Glenn Young, and I actually really like his statement. I think his predecessor, and maybe Terry McAuliffe, I don't remember Terry McAuliffe issuing any proclamation. I think Northam maybe occasionally would, but this is a more overt embrace of Shooting Sports Month and an acknowledgement of conservation than I've seen from prior governors here in Virginia. And the proclamation reads like this. Whereas hunting, firearms, and shooting sports are part of the history, tradition, and culture of Virginia and have promoted responsible gun use and ownership, and whereas increasing education and access to shooting sports provides opportunities to safely and responsibly increase public participation in shooting sports and hunting, the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources is responsible for the sound management and conservation of wildlife, and in addition teaches principles of ethical hunting, firearm safety, and responsible firearms use, that the firearms and ammunition industry contributed as much as $1.3 billion to Virginia's economy in 2021 and supported nearly 7,500 jobs. And that Virginia, if you guys don't know this from Pittman Robertson, Virginia received 
$19 million in funding for wildlife and conservation efforts through the Pittman-Roberts excise tax levied on firearms and ammunition this past year and much more and that Glenn Youngkin do hereby certify recognize August 2022 as National Shooting Sports Month in the Commonwealth of Virginia and call this observance to the attention of our citizens. Do you agree with full proclamation if you are also a Virginia resident? But I actually liked how comprehensive that was. It acknowledged the shooting sports culture, the number of jobs the ammo and farms industry provided, the relation to Pittman Robertson. Excellent proclamation. See if your governor also issued a proclamation. If they didn't, you should let them know. But it is, like I said, National Shooting Sports Month. Great time to take someone to the range to polish your existing skills. With my travel schedule coming up, I don't think I'll be able to hit the range, but I did a post preemptively of a gun that I shot an AR-15. I think it's a Bowdoin Tactical AR that I shot at the recent POMUM Business Conference Shooting Range Day, and I really liked that firearm, actually. It was a very practical specimen, and it was super easy to shoot, no recoil, and I just posted that as part of my advocacy on this month not being told to or paid to promote it i just did it out of my own whim to do it just to showcase that it is very feasible to enjoy shooting sports and do it safely so if you need more resources i'll include links to the proclamations to national shooting sports month so you can have all of it at your disposal but i hope you take advantage of the occasion and not just set aside time this month but also try to make target shooting a regular practice in the succeeding months if you, you are especially new to the sport. So happy shooting sports month, everyone. The second topic today, and I'll leave you guys with this before we dip into tomorrow's episode on a very crazy effort in California, but this relates more so to energy. This is news that came out last week from the state corporation commission, which is like the regulator of any utility company. And If you live in Virginia, you probably have heard of Dominion Energy. Dominion Energy is the largest electricity utility company here in the state. They wield a lot of political power. They have largely jumped on board this Virginia Clean Economy Act because they were basically ordered to do so when Governor Northam, former Governor Northam, thankfully, signed into law, rather. The General Assembly passed the Virginia Clean Economy Act, which pushes Virginia to a net zero path by 2050, if I'm not mistaken or 2045, one of those two years. But eventually, they want us to phase away fossil fuels, although they're still part of our electric portfolio here in Virginia. And deep in this law, there are new pieces that I continue to find from my examination into the Virginia Clean Economy Act. And it stipulates that the state needs to basically construct an infrastructure, a wind infrastructure to support 5.2 gigawatts for wind energy in the state. And wind, if you look in the Energy Information Administration, Virginia's Virginia's profile there, wind and solar are not accounted whatsoever. The biggest share of energy with respect to electricity production is natural gas at 61%, followed by nuclear at 29%. Then they also list renewables, largely biomass at 6%, and coal went down from 10% to 4%. But again, no mention of solar and wind. Now, what is this project in question? It's called the Coastal Virginia Offshore Wind Project. It's a wind farm. They're planning to build 176 or 180 wind turbines off the coast, 27 miles offshore of Virginia Beach. 
and the project is slated to cost $10 billion. And this is a 25% increase from the fall. I think it was previously listed around $8 billion. Now it is 10, almost $10 billion. And the SEC gave approval, but they had a lot of caveats to that approval. And I'm going to read for you first what this project entails, what they promise, and then the SEC ruling, and then other analysis as it relates to wind energy. And then I will insert my concerns with this project from a conservationist standpoint to you all, because I have a lot of questions about this, especially in these inflationary times. You shouldn't be raising people's electricity bills to supposedly transition to clean energy, which is being touted as much more affordable, but it's not. And so they claim Dominion Energy that once this project is fully constructed by 2027, if it does get off the ground, mind you, these are all projections. A lot of the times projections sometimes don't materialize given the scale of this project. I don't know if they will. Then we're going to talk about some conditions shortly from the SEC. Dominion Energy claims over 600,000 homes will be powered as a result of this project. They claim that 1,100 jobs will be supported once this is fully built. And of course, they say this brings us closer to achieving our net zero emission goals. Dominion also f- claims that um, since the there have already two turbines and these two turbines cumulatively cost $300 million, they started operations last fall and they claim that they're avoiding up to 25,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions annually. And they say A lot of fish structures have been created because of the installation. It's created habitat. We'll wade into some of the problems with that assertion and actually concerns with fish migrations momentarily. But they say that this project is going to deliver jobs. It's going to lead to a cleaner energy future in Virginia. But even the SEC, which approved it, had some concerns about the scalability of the project. And let's read for you guys the statement. So this came Last Friday, they've approved the application for Dominion Energy for cost recovery associated with its proposed Coastal Virginia offshore wind project. The project consists of 176 turbines, each designed to generate 14.7 megawatts, located approximately 27 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach. The project is expected to have a capital cost of $9.8 billion and will likely be the largest capital investment and single largest project in the history of Dominion Energy. The commission's press release also states that they approved the electric interconnection and transmission facilities to connect the wind farm reliably with the existing transmission system. But here's the catch for us who are Dominion customers. The commission approved a revenue requirement of $78.702 million for the rate year of September 1st, 2022 to August 31st. 2023 to be recovered through new rate adjustment clause, a rider OSW, over the projected 35-year lifetime of the project for a residential customer using 1,000 kilowatt hours of electricity per month. The rider OSW is projected to result in a monthly average increase of $4.72 and a peak monthly bill increase to $14.22 in 2027. The rate adjustment clause is effective for usage on and after September 1st. If you guys don't know, again, like I alluded to, the Virginia Clean Economy Act stipulates that Virginia must have 5.2 gigawatts set aside for wind energy. And because of how the Virginia Clean Economy Act is structured, the SEC couldn't reject the project because it was determined that this project would be in the interest of Virginia ratepayers. 
Very laughable, if you ask me. Let's continue reading. Following the full proceeding, the commission found, as directed by the General Assembly, that construction of the Virginia Coastal Virginia Offshore Wind Project is in the public interest. And in its final order, the SEC stated, in so finding that these costs must be recovered from customers, the commission is also keenly aware of the ongoing rise in gas prices, inflation, and other economic pressures that are impacting all utility customers. This is a prescriptive statute, and we applied it based on the record in this case. So there are three things they claim they want to do to safeguard customers and rate payers from the costs. The commission further stated that significant concerns were raised throughout the proceeding regarding the affordability of the project and the financial risk to ratepayers. With a project of this magnitude, the SEC ordered the following consumer protection. Dominion shall file a notice with the SEC within 30 calendar days if it determines that the total project costs are expected to exceed the current estimate, or if the final turbine installation is expected to be delayed beyond February 4th, 2017. Each annual rider OSW update application filed by Dominion prior to the product's commercial project's commercial operations shall include any material changes to the project, the most recent biannual project update, and a written explanation as to the reason for any cost overruns above the most recent estimate provided by the company to include reasonableness and prudence of the additional costs, beginning with the commercial operation and extending the life for the project. Customers shall be held harmless for any shortfall in energy production below a net annual capacity factor of 42% as measured through the three-year rolling average. And you can read what the commissioner said of this. I want to point to you two things from Virginia Mercury. So Virginia Mercury is a nonprofit publication. They lean more to the left. They do some good journalism. I'll give them that. And they're fully on board the Virginia Clean Economy Act. But they are pretty fair and impartial, so I want to give them deference and cite a few things from them. So even they rose some concerns from, let's say, Dominion raising costs more so. I had written in Town Hall, you could read more comprehensively about this, but Dominion said back in the spring that because of inflation, the Ukraine conflict, and other factors, that they're going to be raising customer bills between 12 to 20%. You can read that at the Virginia Mercury. Also, they are wanting to roll out a solar tariff, and this is also from May 2022. So if we have this slated 12 to 20% increase in bills, in our utility bills, there's a solar tariff for some $20 a month for some Dominion customers. And then on top of that, we're going to be paying upwards of $14.22 a month to adjust for this new wind project that is offshore and that may not materialize. How much are our bills going to be going up? Like, is this clean energy transition really as clean and affordable as the proponents are saying? No. Lest we forget that wind and solar still have to be backed up by fossil fuels. So we're going to be exhausting more fossil fuels through generating energy by wind. Doesn't make any sense. Why are our utility bills being increased? They claim that, well, it's going to decrease down the road after upfront costs. But in many cases, that's not shown to be the case. These projects become a lot more costlier. They burden utility payers like us. And we don't really see much of a positive impact. We don't see a decrease in our energy bills. We don't see more energy produced. And we'll go into the environmental concerns too, because I have those naturally, of course, with this project, because this is such a huge project. 
you know, 176 turbines in a state that does get hurricanes. And they say, well, we're creating hurricane resistant turbines and blades and it's going to be fine. And it's not going to have an impact on birds and it's going to be okay for fish migration patterns. But even governmental sources have said there's actually quite a bit of an environmental footprint to these wind projects. And let's read briefly what those concerns are. The Department of Energy, for instance, assessing and mitigating environmental impacts of wind. As with all energy supply options, wind energy can have adverse environmental impacts, including the potential to reduce, fragment, and degrade habitat for wildlife, fish, and plants. Furthermore, spinning turbine blades can pose a threat to flying wildlife like birds and bats. I want to read for you the issue of offshore wind development effects on fish and fisheries. This is from the Oceanography Magazine, the official magazine of the Oceanography Society. And something that has been pointed to me as an angler is this concern about what the effects of wind turbine installations will have on fisheries. And then we're going to go into some of the concerns the Yunkin administration made with their rejection of not joining this compact 11 state compact for wind exploration off the east coast i'll go into that momentarily and we'll assess where the Yunkin administration falls on this proposed project as well but the concerns with fish migration patterns changes to fisheries that result from offshore wind farm installations may be considered good or bad depending on various stakeholders perspectives owfs can act as artificial reefs that may have secondary fish production but such effects may also have ecological consequences. The fisheries exclusion effect that turns some OWFs into no-go areas, hence effectively no-take zones, could provide resource enhancements or redistribution. However, the displacement of fishing effort may have consequences to fisheries elsewhere. Changes in the sensory environment related to sound, as well as electromagnetic fields and physical altercations of current and wind wakes may have as yet unknown impacts on fishery resources. Understanding the interactions among effect type, OWF developmental phase, development phase, and spatiotemporal population dynamics of commercial and recreational species remains challenging, exemplified by the commercial fishery lobster genus Omaris. Does the Yunkin administration support the Coastal Virginia offshore wind project? I haven't seen any clear affirmation of this they didn't really present a challenge maybe because they're held back from the opposing it because like i said the sec stipulates that a project like this can go through because there's a clause that says you have to meet this threshold for wind development although governor yunkin did have a statement put out from macaulay porter his press secretary that he does support the current project but again, he hasn't put out an official statement saying, yes, we support this. Maybe they're waiting to see how Dominion responds to the consumer protections that they have to abide by. But the governor generally supports wind energy. I may disagree with that going wholesale, um, but maybe the administration kind of taking a middle of the road approach, even though there was a little bit of a signaling in support of this through that statement. Um, but the governor... And five of his cabinet secretaries actually expressed reservation with joining this 11-state cooperative to advance offshore wind development. And they told the BOEM, which is the 
department related to Department of Interior for offshore wind development. They said, we're not going to be partaking in this 11th state cooperative. And they said that large areas of Virginia's coast being considered for potential offshore wind sites could cause millions of dollars of negative impact to Virginia's commercial fishing industries. And this is from the Virginia Mercury again. While supportive of the growth of the offshore wind industry and the opportunities for the Commonwealth to provide critical support to the supply chain and become a key hub for future development, we must ensure any future leasing areas do not detrimentally impact or restrict maritime commerce or commercial navigation. The officials wrote in a June 27th letter to the Bureau of Energy Ocean Management. The letter was obviously signed by Acting Secretary of Natural and Historic Resources Travis Voiles. Secretary of Commerce and Trade Karen Merrick, Secretary of Transportation W. Shepard Miller, Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs Craig Crenshaw, and Labor Secretary Brian Slater. And it came, this Biden administration comments came in response to a Boehm proposal for a 4 million acre Central Atlantic Call Center where the federal government could auction off lease areas to offshore wind developers. And this was published in july so let's read briefly this letter from the five cabinet members if you guys are interested so let's go back to their concerns over the impact to commercial fishing interests so they said the boehm central atlantic call area includes critical areas off virginia's coast and any future leasing or development on all parts of the call area must balance the competing interests of all stakeholders the Commonwealth is home to a variety of the stakeholders who understand and value the opportunities with any future development, but also recognize the need to ensure other critical services, industries, and infrastructure are also considered at the local to regional scale. Additionally, while the Commonwealth continues to work with BOEM to ensure the recognition and understanding of impacts to commercial and recreational fisheries in the call area, further understanding of these relationships will allow for informed decisions to avoid and minimize impact to fisheries, while there's recognition that recreational fisheries could benefit from the habitat provided by future development, large portions of the call area do not currently reflect the potential millions of dollars of negative impact to Virginia's commercial fishing industries. Ensuring avoidance and minimization of the impacts before considering mitigation is critical to the foundation of future offshore wind development for Virginia. You can read the letter for yourself if you're curious. I've laid out the problems with the costs associated with this. If we actually see this project materialize despite getting approval would be very interesting, especially, like I said, given the fact that Dominion is going to be raising rates. I laid out the 12 to 20 percent potential rate increase we may see. Also, that solar tariff and then compounded by this. At this point in time, I think projects like this shouldn't be happening as more and more Virginians are paying for utilities with no relief in sight. Do you agree, disagree, my fellow Virginians, with this project, the Coastal Virginia Wind Offshore Wind Project? I would love to hear your thoughts. I've laid out my concerns with it. I think rather the state should focus on nuclear and natural gas. Those are the two leading electricity generators already reflected on the electric grid. Wind, again, does not account for much. And they say, well, this project will spur growth in that. I'm not so sure. But those two, those far cleaner, more efficient energy sources should be pursued rather. But that is what I have for you on this newly approved offshore wind farm. Will it materialize? Will Dominion be able to meet the stipulations to protect consumers? 
that remains to be seen. So we will keep you posted on this. It is going to be discussed a lot more. It's not going anywhere. And I think a lot of concerns will be brought about. And there is an endangered whale in the area. So the project could be stopped if this whale that is federally protected is potentially threatened even more. So that remains to be seen here in this case. Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media. with blue check marks, super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.